Welcome to Gym Wag, a podcast series hosted by me, Lisa Eaton. Over at G&T, I'll be interviewing some of the region's most respected business leaders, CEOs and CMOs to hear all about their journey and their experiences. So take a seat, pour a drink and join us for an inspiring half hour of like-minded chat. Welcome to Ginwag. In this episode, I'm joined by the fascinating Hannah Underwood, Director of Innovation and Growth at The Key, an organisation that I am so passionate about, which exists to create a world where all young people are inspired to believe in themselves and achieve their full potential. Hannah's always been fascinated in how people learn, behave and develop. She became passionate about helping young people develop themselves and their future life chances. Various jobs helped her learn all about how to run a small business, how to measure performance, and how to use data to improve and grow. The key provided a spookily perfect challenge, bringing together her passion for changing young people's lives, together with her skills in leadership, innovation, business improvement, and growth. She's now a self-confessed charity data geek, a mum of two with a third on the way, and has an unquenchable desire to improve as many young lives as humanly possible. Enjoy this episode. So Hannah, a huge welcome to Ginwag. Thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure. Hello. We're just coming out, Hannah, of what has been hopefully the last lockdown, fingers crossed, um, of this crazy year that we've kind of lived through a global pandemic. Um, how have you adapted to changes at home and work over the last year? How has it, how has it been for you? Oh, yeah, it's been bonkers. Um, and actually, I returned from maternity leave into lockdown <laughs> so I haven't actually been in the office with my colleagues since May 2019 <laughs> so, so that's really crazy um so and you know we've had a lot of stuff going on um at the key where we've had new people starting and it's sort of strange having not really met people but in terms of like home uh like making it all fit I work from home my husband worked from home We've got a four-year-old and they're coming up to a two-year-old and yeah it's been so the room I'm in now is partly a gym partly an office and partly a playroom <laughs> and we've got a desk in the bedroom and it's just you know just trying to work it out be- be- between us really just muddle through <laughs> yeah I think that's it I mean everybody's you know just starting to think about what it's going to be like to return to work I think aren't they and it feels like a long time now you know I think for lots of people we're starting to realize that actually the return to work might be just as tricky as the removal from from the office at any point um but no it's good good to hear that you're all doing well um so you've had a fascinating career to date you've achieved so much already um so will you tell us a little bit about how your journey started Hannah and was being a chief exec and holding various non-exec roles always in the plan from the early days or or did it just happen like that yeah kind of just happened like that I kind of always say I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up (laughs) either so I think uh, most people have a kind of career meander as opposed to, you know, a direct path. Um, But I, you know, I I came up to the northeast to study at Newcastle University. um, And even then I didn't really, and my degree was combined sciences, so I kept it really open then. So I didn't even really want to sort of specialise at that 
at that point, but I learned quite quickly, you know, um, I've always had a passion for science and in particular sort of like human behavior and human development. And, um, uh, but I also did a, 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 a module at university around education where I got to go out and work in some of the schools and some of the inner city areas. And that's where I really started to develop a passion for working with young people and seeing the impact that you can make on young lives and how rewarding that is and so um yeah a few sort of things you know sort of sparked I found like my passions early which I think was a good thing um but sort of where they've taken me and you know I never thought oh, I would particularly go down the path I did it's just sort of just sort of happened <laughs> I suppose yeah and I mean it's a it's amazing now to see I guess what you have achieved in such a short period of time um but also the difference that you've made and you know and uh, particularly at the key in a, you know an organization that does the most phenomenal work with young people um and I mean you became CEO of the key at just 25 um yeah. <laughs> what was that like stepping into I guess such a senior role at such a young age and were you prepared for it or no not really at all I think I mean, I, th I think at the time, I mean, and I've always been really ambitious and really had a desire to learn and develop and been very keen and eager and passionate and all that sort of stuff. And that's, you know, I was, if you can imagine that this is me now, imagine what I was like at 25. <laughs> I was in this annoying little thing buzzing around everybody, uh, trying to get their attention. And um, um, so it was, it was a really, like a major thing to have such a huge amount of responsibility age 25 and and there's a lot of challenges I think that I hadn't even really anticipated about coming into that role even thinking about well is everyone going to get behind me are they going to trust me like those people in the organization who had maybe applied for my job and the, you know there's all those sort of dynamics that I was quite kind of unaware of really because I was so young coming into it and and actually and it sounds like a really crazy thing to say but the organization unbeknownst to mo most people connected to at the time was actually in a really delicate situation and I'm only on my second day at the key realized that we were one and a half grand overdrawn we had um, payroll the next week we had um, lots of money that was owed to the organization but reports to funders hadn't been written and all of this sort of stuff and so there was like a major cash flow issue and that was like so my first day was like oh this is great you know I'm the boss and how exciting second day was oh god I'm the boss and this is like massive massive problem um but actually it meant that everyone just galvanized around me no one had any time or any space to think oh is this gonna work she's so young everyone was like right okay just roll sleeves up let's get behind let's work through this and we did and we turned it all around and and then I think even though that was really, really scary, that's sort of like I've taken a lot from that in a lot of other parts of my career since. And just having that opportunity to get the team around me focused on a, on a challenge so early on, I think in hindsight, was a good, it was a good thing. Yeah. It's funny because we talk a lot about, about if you knew what was coming, would you still have done it? And I think, you know, foresight is an interesting thing, but also I think sometimes not knowing what's coming can often be the best thing because at least you can get, you know, get straight into it, um, not overthink it. And as you obviously did, 
day two straight in at the deep end. Um, any kind of major learnings from that? Anything that you think kind of shaped you in terms of the leader that you are today? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think I think it's always been about team effort. You know, none of you know none of that would have been achievable with just me on my own. And I think that that's always been a a sort of um, having a sort of collective leadership style and, and an authentic one as well, you know, just sort of being open and honest and being quite clear about what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are. And and and, uh, and I think right from those early days, because I was very aware of how much I didn't know, and it was really okay that I didn't know much stuff because I was only 25 and I learned very early to ask people for help and ask people for advice and just contact complete strangers who look interesting and might know things that I would like to know <laughs> and ask for them to help me. And it's bit, and it's amazing what people are prepared to do for a complete stranger if you ask them. <laughs> and I still do that now, you know, and it's it's um, that I take that through with me, you know, in all of my different roles, just ask and people will help you. Yeah, I think that's really interesting and excellent advice because um, I do exactly the same thing. And I, particularly through this last year, trying to navigate a business through this pandemic has been um, such a challenge for us all on such different levels. Um, but, you know, the way to get through it is by talking and taking advice and um, and help from others. And I'm always constantly amazed at the support, particularly of the Northeast business community, because you can ask a complete stranger for a half an hour of their time or a coffee and, and people are so kind with their advice and their support. Um, but I think it's a great way to kind of develop that leadership side. This podcast is brought to you by Fabric, a training academy that empowers the most ambitious marketers to thrive. You're already a marketer or you want to get into marketing. You have ambition like no other and are driven to be the best at what you do. So how can you make sure you make a big impact wherever you go? Well, we're here to share over 20 years of experience in industry insights in just 12 weeks. By the end of our programme, you'll know how to build a marketing strategy that delivers big-time business impact, show how valuable you are through effective reporting, and help your organisation smash targets and reach its goals. Get ready to be the change that propels organisations forward. Nail your next interview, review or board meeting, and make yourself the marketer that every business wants. Find out more, visit fabric-academy.com. So I guess your role within the key, um, which you've been in and you've had you've you've had various roles because you've moved into a slightly different role now, which we'll touch on in a bit. Um, but it allowed you to combine both your passion for changing young people's lives, but also your specialism in management, innovation, and business growth. Um, how important was it for you to find a role or an organization that really aligned with your personal values and what importance do you think that um, has played in I guess staying with the key for such a long time? I mean it's re it's really important I kind of felt like the luckiest person in the world when I first got the role at the key because it did it brought together all the stuff that I'd been I mean, I say all the stuff I've been developing and I was still only 20, 25 but so you know I sort of knew that that was the idea around business improvement and leadership development and that's you know I've done a, a postgrad in that and had um, worked um, for some small businesses who specialized in that area beforehand but still always had this passion for young people and felt you know when I was just working with young people but not in that sort of senior role 
that something was missing and then when I was doing the business improvement stuff I wasn't getting my fix from <laughs> the, the that passion and this sort of brought together those two three two two things for me and it's just amazing when you find an opportunity where you can combine you know more than one thing that you're passionate about so that's definitely played a, a, a big part in why I've stayed at the key for so long but also it's because my appetite for learning is never quashed <laughs> and the key is a learning organization it's all about you know how to help people to learn and develop but how can everyone else within the organization learn and develop and the journey that the organization's been on has meant that there has never been a point where I have stopped having the opportunity to learn but also that the the board have been um you know, it's filled with people who believe in me and had believed in me from when I was very young. And that's a tremendously powerful, empowering thing to have. Um, it also gets a little bit scary, actually. So actually, some of the times when I felt most vulnerable and most exposed is when there has been too much trust in me, <laughs> which might sound a bit crazy, but then I'm like, actually, if no one's challenging what I'm saying or no one's pulling me up on stuff that I, actually then I feel vulnerable um, as opposed to, you know, oh, great, it's an easy ride. No one's questioning me. Um, but the 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 board and the the setup at the key is that it's that why it, I, I've had non-exec roles and trusteeships from age 25 and built those up and and the the it, the board has actively encouraged me to do those things because there's only a certain amount of stuff you can learn within the constraints of especially a small you know it's a small small northeast charity there's there's stuff that I've been able to learn and develop through non-exec roles that I would just never have had the opportunity to do at the key and giving me the flexibility and the freedom to have these side hustles for want of a better term um, has made enabled me to keep feeding that desire to continue to learn. Yeah, and I guess that's really interesting because um, being exposed to these other non-exec roles or trustee roles, you're able to bring a different set of skills or a different opinion or a different view back into the organisation, um, which just helps kind of widen that, that um, you know, that reach, doesn't it? Um, amazing. Well, let's talk a little bit about data because you are, um, by your own words, a self-confessed data geek. Um, and I thought I was obsessed with data until I met you. So you definitely are a self-confessed data geek, I'm sure. Um, tell me a little bit about your interest in data and particularly how you've been able to make such huge improvements in some of the organisations that you've worked with because of it. Yeah, I mean, I think my my interest in data is always, like, as I said, like when I my degree at university was science, it combined science and so I'm sort of like a scientist at heart <laughs> and um, so I always want to base decisions based on information and facts like I am driven by gut and stuff to some extent but um, I find that that data helps to drive decision making and helps to drive innovation and when I can trust the sources of that data it really I think just helps to drive forward a whole range of different ways of in looking at improving an organization and, and when I first um, started at the key it was I mean no no one talked about 
um, impact or outcomes or really questioned how do you know that you're making a difference to young people's lives and because actually intuitively you knew you were when you saw young people and you experienced you know firsthand seeing what they were doing and you could see it and you could feel it but actually that's not that's not going to help you think well if I change this part or if I change this part could I get more of that good stuff <laughs> or actually is there a whole host of stuff that we're delivering in the key that's not contributing to those great outputs and it's so you know in the charity sector it's so challenging to continue to raise the funds required to deliver what you do um, and uh, you know to continue to do that year on year is and and it's so that you know it's tiring there's a lot of effort required to keep a charity running is is that I was really wanting to make sure that that every penny that we raised was really well spent within the organization so so we sort of set up a data framework and data principles for the charity well before there was any real talk of using data within charities and that's just put us in really really good stead and and importantly it's meant that we have use data in a way to ask dangerous questions of the organization and challenge ourselves as to are we is what we're doing working whereas i think there's more emphasis now and pressure on charities to try and prove that what you do does work and actually that means you collect a very different types of data and ask very different questions because you're kind of wanting a particular answer, whereas um, that's not the approach that, that we had we had taken. Um, and then I came, like I really got into it when I came across this organization called DataKind, where I'm, I'm now a trustee. Um, and first it was an American NGO and these two Americans came over to the UK and um, ran this event called the Data Dive, which was um, basically like a hackathon. I mean, this is back in sort of 2011, I think, uh, 2012. Um, and there was three charities that were chosen to take part. One was Oxfam. <laughs> One was um, this national uh, multi-million charity called Place to Be. And the other was The Key, <laughs> this, you know, us. And we went along with our data sets and um, questions. And there was about 150 data scientists in the room. We pitched. We got a team of like 40, 50 um, analysts and data scientists and developers and creative technologists, all these sorts of people, um, to just spend the whole weekend crunching away at our questions. And I, from that point onwards, I was absolutely hooked and sort of realized like, just the massive potential that there is in using data effectively within social sector organisations, and um, yeah, and the, just I've just con continued to want to try and um, develop that within within the key. And and it, and if we can serve as a sort of example of, you don't have to be a huge organisation to be smart with your data at all. You don't have to have lots of money. You don't have to be big. You just have. To, to know how to ask the right questions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's really interesting advice because um, I think that's that is a 
perception of um, businesses out there that you do have to, you know, you either have to be very technically minded about, um, you know, data analysis or, um, or understanding the data, or you have to have huge investments in software and uh, to enable it. And, you know, we talk about this a lot constantly about just being able to ask the right questions that are going to inform the right outputs and then make decisions based on on the facts, you know, rather than gut feelings. So um, really interesting there. And I guess running on really nicely um, into, I guess, you've been a director with DataKind since 2013. Yeah. And, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. So this is an American NGO credited for initiating data for good. Yeah. And you did a TED talk um, or a TEDx talk for DataKind at the Sage in Newcastle. I did, um, yeah. Yeah, and it was just months after having uh, your second baby, is that right? Yeah, so Fred was, I think, four months old. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. well, so I had that talk, and honestly, I was completely amazed at how, you know, unbelievably amazing you were, but how together you were, having had two babies myself, I could imagine you were living on, you know, little or no sleep at all, but what was that experience like of, of doing a TEDx talk and, and particularly about something that you're, you know, you're so passionate about? It, I mean, it was absolutely terrifying. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, and, and especially, you know, at, you know, ha- having had, oh, you know, Fred was so little and he had to come with me and I was still breastfeeding. So it was, yeah. I remember the guy micing me up beforehand and he had to have like the mic put on about half an hour beforehand and, I, and I'd say, can you just do it in a way so I can still get my boobs out <laughs> because I'm going to have to feed Fred before I go on stage? And he was like, no one has ever asked me that before. <laughs> um, so it was a bit, it was a bit crazy. And say, you know, the whole one is huge and there was thousands of people there. Um, but I've all, always, like, always put myself in really uncomfortable situations on purpose. <laughs> To, to see how I fare and I sort of thrive on that sort of terror a little bit um so although it was genuinely terrifying it was also exhilarating and really exciting to talk about a topic that you're passionate about and I guess that's the point of TEDx isn't it is that people care about the stuff that they talk about but actually even though it was so there was such a big audience is that I've got the sense the whole day I mean it kind of helped having a little baby and then everyone was like no everyone wants to talk to you and um, I just got that overarching sense that everyone wanted you to do well no one was there wanting you to falter or mess up or um, you know and everyone wanted to be interested in what you had to say so it just was like a really scary but supportive environments if that if that if that makes sense it does it absolutely does and you know it was such a um it was it was an amazing talk but it was really inspiring to see you get up there as a woman talking as a senior leader in in that particular field of data and also with a tiny baby in the audience and you know a, a, just a shining example of doing it all whether you had it all together or not it didn't matter because you were there kind of doing it so um you know really really inspiring and I guess that probably leads us on quite nicely to um, a question that I get asked lots, and I just wanted your take on this. And I guess being a woman in business, it's, um, you know, we're faced with the challenge of also wanting family, you know, wanting to go off and have babies and be able to come back and do it all like we always have. Um, and you've have you've had two children whilst continuing to fulfil your role as chief exec at The Key. Um, what advice would you give to ambitious women who are planning to have a family? 
how do you manage to juggle it all why life and you know work life and family life and, and is there a secret ingredient or is it is it a wing it and try your best <laughs> well, I think there's a couple a couple of things that I've sort of learned as I've gone along and the first one is it is which might seem a bit strange but because you talk about planning a family, you know, and it's always been really important to me to have a family. I'd always wanted to have a family. And then I think I had, I think I probably tr left it longer than I should have done before I started doing it. Because I was, you know, and it's not that I was, it, career was more important to me than the family. It was just, um, you know, I think you can plan as much as you want. And when you, when it, and I'm used to everything in my life that I plan happens and I put you know and I'm really organized and I put a plan in place and then it all goes the way that I want it to or you know you change and adapt but planning a family is an entirely different thing and so unpredictable things don't always go the way that you want and like it's just a fit an area of my life where I felt actually I didn't have the control <laughs> but I have been ex used to having in other parts of my life and I found that really difficult and almost sort of wished I'd just start got on and started that journey earlier also because I'm currently pregnant with my third child being yes. pregnant when you're 41 is hard <laughs> compared to being pregnant when you're a bit younger so uh so and and, and I think it, it, you know there's a lot of um you know you can put a lot of pressure on yourself and think you know I, I Oh, well, I couldn't possibly go for that promotion because I, I think I would like to have a child in the next six months. And my advice is just keep on. Don't leave until your situation changes and you're ready to, to you know, don't leave till you've left type thing. Or don't make decisions about not progressing or not doing things because you think you might want to have a child in the next year. Just 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 carry on. And And, and, the, and the other thing in terms of like what certainly like the second time around with Fred is that I, I learned that what what I wanted for me is can actually also be beneficial to the organization so I wanted to come back in a different role I wanted things to be more flexible I wanted to be able to focus on the parts of my job that I really really cared about and was passionate about and and that actually that you that that it's not it's not a selfish thing to to then go torture the people torture employees and say these are the things I want and this is going to be good for me and quite often that is also going to be good for the organization or good for the business that you that you work in and and uh, to not sort of shy away from it and and the, the other thing that I've w w experienced um working with a, a lady on a pro bono basis who was doing some coaching with me called um, Lizzie Rhodes James and she's been awesome um, at sort of helping me with sort of balancing these sorts of decisions and one thing that she helped me realize is to be present in the thing that you're doing so lots of mums have this guilt of I'm not being the best mum that I can be <laughs> And I'm not being the best employee that I can be. I'm kind of trying to do both and not doing full justice to either. And that's like a thing I think lots of people carry around and they feel guilty about both. And the way I've got around that is when I'm with my kids, I am 100 percent 
present and focused on being a mum. And when I'm at work, I'm 100% present and focused at being at work. And and actually change that to other parts of my life. So when I'm exercising, I'm 100% focused and present at exercising. And that sort of being present has helped me manage the stress of having so many different things, but also has meant I've, I'm better at each of those things at the time at which I'm doing them. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's amazing advice completely amazing advice and I think you know you are an example that you can have you know a super ambitious career and hold a really senior position while still having a family and being able to take time out to you know have your maternity leave and and juggle kids and move from full-time to to a more flexible role Um, and also leads really nicely actually into the the role that you currently have because you last year passed the reins of the chief exec role over to somebody else in the key to Richard and um, have moved into a more specialized role which is director of innovation and growth Um, was that driven from a kind of family decision or was it an organizational decision or was that a bit of both it was both it was definitely both Um, so prior to um, having Fred I'd spent a lot of time thinking about the future for the key and putting in place um, some quite ambitious plans for how um, we would change our delivery model, but also a, a, um, a model that would enable us to, to to grow and meet the needs, the ever growing needs of young of young people. Um, and we've managed to pull together a um, kind of a consortium. We got ten funders together in a room down in London, which apparently had never been done before, <laughs> and pitched to them. This is our ambitions for the organisation, but we also want to try something new by getting. You, you fund us together to sort of collaboratively come on this journey with us um, and uh, and basically we pulled it off and but lots of those funding decisions happened during the time that I was on maternity leave and um, and it became very clear that actually the, that what was you know this is a big step change a big transformation for the organization and what the organization really needed was a full-time CEO and and I didn't want to be a full-time CEO but also I wanted to because within that plan is a lot around like the 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 development of the products and really getting customer centric and the service design and thinking about the data systems that need to pin these things and these are things that I really wanted to get like that's the stuff I get really excited about and I really wanted to get stuck into and so it was just an open conversation with the board really and saying look I want to specialize in this area and actually that for me I think is the future for, you know is like where I would like my sort of career to go um and so I and I think I can uniquely offer that to the key because of my his, history um but but also I think that the organization now needs someone who who can take the reins and work full-time at that CEO level um and it just you know it was it made sense um so it's a bit of a strange scenario <laughs> um, <laughs> um but it, it you know it, it worked it's what I wanted for me and it's what the organization needed as well brilliant and it's great to know that I guess you have that ability to almost carve out a you know a niche role for yourself and I guess it gives you that um, ability to be able to really delve into what is your passion but also juggle how you know home life as well and you know I guess there is the best of both worlds you know there's always that opportunity there it's sometimes 
creating that if it doesn't necessarily exist and it's meant that i've been able to do because that's a part-time a part-time role is within the keys that it's meant that the other non-exec roles that i've been sort of developing over over time as well is is that i i've now got space proper carved out space and time to dedicate to those that's not eating into my mum time <laughs> um so that works well too you mentioned a little bit earlier that you are pregnant with your third baby so big congratulations yeah. <laughs> um but i mean i guess you're preparing for maternity cover now at the key and what type of planning goes into that for an organization when when you know they're preparing for a period of time where a, an integral part of that senior team will be there it's i mean it's been much it's been different this time around because I'm not the CEO now so previously when we've been planning for my maternity leave I've been the CEO and it's and it's um it's been a slightly different process that we've been through so last time we had a, um, a fantastic guy called Austin McNamara who was in stepped in as an interim CEO during the time that I was off and so we were kind of looking for a like for like replacement and an interim CEO is a thing you know it's a sort of that stuff that people do <laughs> um whereas actually this time around it's been much more complicated because of the sort of niche um ness of the role that i've got at the moment we ended up really looking at what is it that i do and we decided that actually i do three different jobs <laughs> um in this current role and they're three different types of people so it's quite i'm not trying to pretend i'm super unique or anything but like being um actually trying to replace me and that role like for like over in a fixed term contract it's just it would just be too too difficult so we ended up carving the job into three and thinking two of those elements could be absorbed um from a leadership perspective and around income generation strategic partnerships and those sorts of things could be absorbed within other parts of the organization but the bit that was left was the very technical um product development so we've created a, a digital product manager uh role um that we're currently looking you know looking looking to fill um that will be someone who will take forward and drive the development of the of the new sort of product for for the key and then look to adapt that into um specializing with in the further education market but also um specializing in how to develop um uh, like a community offer amongst organizations to help uh, young people with mental health and well-being well -being issues so it's sort of adapting that core product to two different verticals if we wanted to get technical about technical about it but it's a really exciting it's a really exciting opportunity for someone to come and get their hands around a lovely neat owned full product <laughs> that, that they that they could develop it sounds like an amazing opportunity and similar to where you first started out where somebody with a real technical specialism can combine that with a you know a real passion around doing good changing people's lives working with young people um particularly that piece around um you know mental well-being and um yeah it sounds like an amazing opportunity so very best of luck in filling that role um, and just kind of wrapping up now, Hannah, I guess, you know, you, you've talked about being on a mission to improve as many young lives as possible. And, you know, with the key, um, you, the board, the team are doing the most amazing job there. But what does the future for young people look like? And I guess, how can we all play a part in driving positive change there? It's oh, a really interesting question, because I mean, and I, and I always talk very positively about the future for young people but actually right now the world is pretty horrible for young people um you know this year has been 
awful uh, for a lot of the young people that we work with and they uh, um, on so many different levels so their education has been impacted upon the you know the input you know the key you know, so much stock is put on helping young people to develop personal and social skills and the the you know the degrees of social isolation that they've been experiencing is re, you know preventing them at these sort of really formative years <clears throat> and also the bill that the country is racking up is one that they're going to have to pay yet they're about to fall, walk into this uh, world of you know incredibly challenging employment um, in conditions for young people so I'm not, you know and it's not like me to talk like that about young you know the opportunities for young people but it is a really difficult place for them right now but that's not to say that there isn't stuff that we can all do and and that there aren't you know lights at the end of the tunnels and um you know opportunities that are ahead for young people but I, and I think for you know if each of us on an individual level just think about how we can listen to young people listen to what their needs are how can we offer opportunities for them how can we believe in them and give them a chance to show us what they're made of and you know we never fail to be amazed and impressed by the things that young people can come up with and that they can achieve when they're given the ownership and the opportunity and the chance to grow and to develop and I think that now more than ever as a as a region as a country as individuals it's let's just give them a break give them a chance give them opportunities and where previously it might be like oh my god you know that extra effort that will be required to bring an apprentice on and the additional support that we needed let's just do it because you know there's 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 so much that they have to offer um but it is it's you know it's a, such a difficult climate for them right now yeah and I think that's such an important point you know I think um you know the work that the key do particularly is is amazing around young people but I guess it's how can we all start to make that difference and us as employers you know the apprenticeship route or um you know work placements and so on but as parents I guess and you know just educating our kids in terms of what's possible what the future can look like um because it is hard and the fallout of this pandemic is going to be really tough um you know and I guess it's just being there and being role models and being support for for young people as as much as we can um, and even going back to like you know what I was saying you know when I first started out you know and I would contact someone who didn't who didn't know me and say can I pick your brains for half an hour and they'd be like who's this jumped up 25 year old doing that but say yes if, if if someone approaches you like that just say yes just give them half an hour give them the time yeah yeah absolutely well Hannah it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for sharing your story with us um I'm absolutely certain there'll be so much value in that for lots of our listeners um particularly women in business who are looking to do it all, juggle everything, um, and that it is possible. Um, and I think the advice around being present in the particular moment um, or the task that you're doing is is really great advice. So thank you for being with us. Um, and anybody who's interested in finding out a little bit more about the key um, can go onto the key's website. Anybody interested in the um, digital project manager's role um, can find details on the website, I presume, Anna? Yes, of course. Yeah, it's all there. Yeah. Well, you take care and thanks again. No problem. Thanks very much. Lovely to speak to you. Well, that's it for this episode. 
If you enjoyed this, please do share with your friends, your network, rate us and do subscribe so we can keep you updated with future episodes. Until then, take care.